Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Hey everyone, hope you all had a wonderful holiday. Over the next few weeks, we'll be running back the clock with our second annual AI Rewind series. Joined by a few friends of the show, we'll be reviewing the papers, tools, use cases, and other developments that made a splash in 2019 in key fields like machine learning, deep learning, NLP, computer vision, reinforcement learning, and ethical AI. Be sure to follow along with the series at twimmelaicom rewind19. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this series, including anything we might have missed. Send me your feedback or favorite papers via Twitter, where I'm at Sam Charrington, or via a comment on the show notes page you can find at twimmelai.com. Happy New Year. Let's get into the show. All right, everyone. I am here with Timnit Gebru. Timnit is a research scientist at Google Brain. She co-leads a team in ethical AI. Timnit, welcome back to the Twimmel AI podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is so great to see you once again. I think it's been uh, a year since I last saw you two in person. Years. Well, a year oh, since yes, yes, yes. last year's NeurIPS and Black and AI, but two years since we spoke uh, on the podcast about your your research. Um, this time around, we are going to be talking about advances in the fairness and ethics uh, conversation around AI over the past year. But before we do that, uh, maybe a little bit of a kind of update background from you uh, for folks who, you know, want to hear what you've been up to in the past couple of years. Wow. It's like, it feels like so much time has passed. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I think when we last spoke, I was a postdoc at Microsoft Research in their FATE uh, group. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, I had just finished my PhD in computer vision. And I had just been at FATE for like a few months, actually. And so I had, you know, started to to do work in fairness, ethics, my last year of my PhD. And then I wanted to do this postdoc to be more embedded in that community and to have more time to explore. And I had, you know, we had just done uh, the first Black and AI workshop. Mm-hmm. And now it has, you know, this is our the third time that we're doing Black and AI. And it has grown so much over the last uh, two years. And so then I, I uh, then, uh, oh, I was in New York when we, we spoke. Um, and then I, now I'm, uh, since about a year and three months, uh, I've been at Google Brain. And so uh, co-leading the Ethical AI team with Meg Mitchell. And um, yeah, there's many, many challenges doing fairness and ethics um, in industry. But so far, I love, you know, my team and I love uh, what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, there's many struggles, but like it's been a journey in the last two years. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we can probably start with with Black and AI uh, since that plays such a a big role in your work and life. Um, And just so folks understand it, I think one of the things that uh, really uh, jumped out at me from the the workshop this year, I think it's easy to think of it. And I think even NURPS calls these affinity organizations. And uh, sure, you know, it represents an affinity for me and identity in a sense. Um, but, you know, there's also kind of real work that's happening, not just to allow folks that have an affinity to come together, but to kind of expand the presence of blacks in AIU or someone mentioned 
bet at the uh, a couple of years ago or three years ago now at Nero? in 2016. Yeah, in Barcelona. In Barcelona, there were five. Yeah,、uh, I counted five. Yeah, you counted five. Yeah,、so、I couldn't see anybody.、Ball. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, for those that don't have this experience,、yeah. when you're black, sometimes you just know how many people are in. Yeah, the, and there was no formal count too, right? That's one right. thing that has changed. Like they're doing diversity statistics, they're counting statistics now. They had Helen Cat had this amazing survey、um, that they spent so much time on. Mm-hmm. And that they、uh, put out last year, and now we have you know people advocating for accessibility. So we have disability in AI. We have、um, Latinx in AI did not exist. You know,、mm-hmm. uh, we did, queer in AI、Sorry、did not AI, exist at、Jews、the time. AI, yeah, new in ML. You know, I think there's much more of an understanding now that I, I, Neurips has been transformed in my opinion.、Yeah. Um, I, you know. Because I, the, my first time being here was 2015, and I really this was a conference I did not want to come back to,、mm-hmm. and I had written about it actually. I was gonna send in an anonymous as a, as an anonymous article, and like everybody, my friends were like, "Yeah, no, everybody's gonna know it was you, so it's not gonna be anonymous." But、uh-huh. I was complaining about, you know, I was harassed at a party.、Yeah. Um, it, there was just so much, so much stuff that happened. I did not feel welcome. I didn't feel like the community was trying to pull me in.、Right. I, I felt like the community was basically. Trying to pull me out, push me out. You know, why do I belong here? Why am I here? You know,、um, and now when I come here, it's it's really big and overwhelming. That not only has、um, has I, I feel like it's changed in terms of diversity inclusion, but also the scope of you know. Workshops. You know, they have、um, all sorts of. Like, Meredith Whitaker is here, for example, and this is not just about AI ethics, but also organizing、mm-hmm. labor and why that's important.、Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, it's it's. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I, I find it so much more inclusive than my home, my vis, the vision community, for example.、Mm-hmm. Now it's like when I go to the vision community, I'm like, whoa. It's like、huh. three black people there, and the、wow. the size is basically about the time. CVPR I think was like six thousand five hundred people、right. or something like that. And now when I see all the work that has been done at Neurips to、yeah. make it so much more um, inclusive, um, I just I go to like my vision conferences and I'm just like, wow, there like hasn't even started yet, you know.、Wow. Well, the the thing that I specifically wanted to acknowledge you for and the team that works on Black and AI is that I think. You know the affinity aspect of it is great, and making those of us that are in the community, you know, feel more included is, is wonderful. But this community is actually going out and finding other people and making it so that they can be here in、yeah. a way that was not possible before. Wasn't possible before, and you, you, it, it became really clear to me, you know, at the the workshop, like after the workshop. There was some administrative thing that was happening、um, that caused the people that were that to line were, up to want you know that were brought here by Black and Yeah you know, for whom Black <laughs> and Yeah was the only reason they could be here to be lined up Yeah and it was a lot of people we were we were handing daily you know I don't think people understand how much work we do because you know there is a lot of affinity groups right but many of them they、um, what they do is they organize a workshop and then. They raise some money and they determine how much they can give in funds to you know if you're coming from the African continent if you're coming from etc etc,、right. and then they、uh, basically give you a certain、uh, they refund you a certain amount of money after the workshop right、mm-hmm. and we know that we can't do that for our、uh, participants because many of them wouldn't be able to just pay in advance and then、uh, you know get refunded right and so we give out、uh, per diem. 
ca uh, cash for people to use for food purposes. So mm -hmm. that's what was happening. Yeah. Um, uh, after the workshop, we were handing these visa cards, prepaid visa cards, um, uh, so that they can just use it for the rest of the week for their food expenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of advocacy that happens in Black NAI too. You know, we once again had our visa issues. Right. Um, and then within Black NAI, you know, it's all, we also have to, of course, there's intersectionality, right? Just because, you, you know, somebody's black doesn't mean we're addressing all of the issues. There are, you know, U.S.-based, uh, Brazil-based, uh, the huge African continent with right. 1.1 billion people. Um, and, you know, HBCUs, um, which community uh, are we neglecting? Which community is uh, underrepresented? Which community is overrepresented? So there's those are things we had to... We, we constantly have to think about. So this year, I was I was really excited by our partnership with OHUB. Um, they're they're great, and like we had some 25, 26 people come through our partnership with OHUB, and um, they were primarily from uh, students from HBCUs. Others were founders, and uh, it was like one amazing moment for me was uh, when this and we we also had many more Brazilians that this year than we did before because you know. Just because we're in the U.S., it doesn't. We might have a different concept of. Um, we 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 don't always understand uh, the severity of the problems in other places, right? So because Brazil was like the last place to abolish slavery, right? And we have like almost sixty percent of their population is black, and mm -hmm. so imagine, right? And then we. I don't ever see a black Brazilian in any of my professional settings, and mm -hmm. so. Um, this uh, Ramon who came to the workshop was telling them, uh, some of the students, uh, that uh, for two years in his undergrad, he never saw a single black person. Wow. In his entire undergrad, right? In a country where more than 50% of the population... So you understand the severity of the issues yeah. that exist. And what was interesting is like, uh, one of them was saying, so the first time he came, she was like, you're Brazilian? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. She was like, I never, you know, the image of a Brazilian that I see here does not look like you at all. So I didn't even know that country was majority black, you right, know? Right, right. Um, and so that, I love that interaction. Like, it's not just, you know, having a space for uh, the black community to be here, but it's also, like, educating each other about the different communities and understanding global, like, how diverse um, this community is. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a great moment for me when I saw that. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for all your work uh, on you. that front. You're a great person to talk to about what's going on in you know, what is a, a very broad field, AI ethics, fairness, accountability, etc. So maybe let's start by having you talk about, you know, things that come to mind as, you know, milestones in 2019 in the field. Yeah, I think that one of, I was thinking about this, and I think one of the things I'm seeing right now is the fairness and ethics community starting a little bit to be, to look inward a little bit. So mm -hmm. it's kind of wondering whether um, some of the technical approaches, uh, whether they're causing more harm or whether they're like uh, putting Band-Aid on a, you know, just a Band-Aids or whether they're fundamentally mm -hmm. affecting things. Um, how, uh, you know, our approach needs to be socio-technical. Um, so I think for me, that's, a, that's, that's the milestone I'm seeing is that that conversation is starting to happen about the approaches themselves. So I actually, I'm not sure if this um, paper came out this year or was it last year. 
But I do believe it's like within the last year, it was this uh, paper on delayed impacts of fairness, right? So, so examples of these kinds of papers. I think another paper, the title was, pro uh, I, I believe it was Lipstick on a Pig. Mm -hmm. And it was talking about how, you know, these debiasing word embeddings might not actually be um, uh, fixing the underlying uh, problem. Um, and what I'm personally, like, actually most excited about is the understanding that uh, this can't just be a technical fix. And that, uh, so for example, at AI Now, they had this uh, report discriminating systems, right? And for them, it's a system, right? So they're not looking at discrimination in uh, images, discrimination, they're looking right. at the system. And the system includes the people who are building right. it. And so in that report, they were talking about gender discrimination and, uh, you know, uh, they were giving all sorts of um, references uh, for people and how, how basically if you have a group of people who are homogeneous building these systems, you're never going to be able to achieve any sort of uh, parity. And I think it's also the under I think the starting to discuss the fact that fairness is not just about equalizing performance across certain subgroups. So this is the first year where I'm starting to see more discussion, a lot more discussion about the fact that fairness is not just equalizing, you know, some error rates across different subgroups, right? So, so I, like uh, in our team, Alex, Hannah, Emily, Denton, who just, so I came, I, I had to attend her talk right before here, um, gave a talk. Um, and um, uh, Jamila Smith-Lord and uh, uh, Andy Smart just wrote uh, a paper about critical, uh, uh, a critical race theory uh, approach for fairness, right? Okay. So, so for example, the fact that, so Joy and I were talking about how in, in our paper in Gender Shades, how um, race is a, a social construct, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's um, unstable across time and space, et cetera, et cetera. In this paper, they were they were talking about how you have to really engage with critical race theory uh, methods and how you have to you know you have race is again an um, a social construct that sometimes maybe that's not what we want to use for annotating data sets. Um, same with uh, gender, right? And but then there's a tension between um, you know. If you're annotating for, let's say, uh, gender, right? You you need to make sure that you're not further harming communities by, you know, making a binary, by uh, further adding like uh, data, additional data that needs to be added uh, from groups of people. So that's like additional privacy risk. Um, making sure, I think I forgot this paper that talks about like the burden on the on uh, minority groups when you're you when you're um, trying to get more data from them. But at the same time, uh, in order to equalize parity across subgroups, or even not even equalize parity, but like just to have parity, but just to test out how well something is doing across subgroups, you have to define these subgroups, what they are, right. what those boundaries are, and you have to then go and gather additional um, data sets for that. So what problems occur when you're thinking about that process itself, now is that I'm seeing a lot more discussion on that on that process itself. You see what I mean? When okay. I first started working it. on it, it was like even, you know, the, the notion that you have to do inter, uh, intersectional testing so you, you don't just um, test for, you know, if my model is doing well on everybody 
um, uh, what does well mean. So there's a lot of, you know, papers on defining notions of fairness. Um, there was, you know, and then we had to introduce the concept of, hey, you have to do disaggregated testing, which means, you know, don't just say, is my model doing well for like women? Is it just doing well for like, you know, is it doing well for like this ra- uh, group of people, this race, that race? You have to say, is it doing well for darker skinned women, lighter skinned uh, women, darker right. skinned men? You know, right. that, that concept was a concept that was like kind of introduced, right? Yeah. I mean, we're just saying like how important it is to do that, to break it down like that. Now, the question is to, to make sure people understand, hey, that's really not the only thing. You don't, don't assume that every single question about fairness is whether the, the performance uh, is equal across different subgroups, right? It's mm-hmm. about who has the data, who doesn't, how it's being used, whether a task should exist or not, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then even in, ch- in cases where you have to define subgroups to see the model's performance um, on those subgroups, you have to, like, creating those subgroups is not a piece of cake, right? Like, right. and the complexities that arise when you define sub, uh, subgroups, who's doing the defining, the taxonomy that you use. So, like, the, I'm seeing much more nuanced, com- like, discu- you know, discussions around this. So, this mm-hmm. paper that I was discussing, critical uh, uh, race theory methods for fairness so i i always i'm so bad at like these titles is we'll, we'll find it yeah to it in the show notes yeah it's it's those kinds of things and that's what i'm excited about and especially just like the understanding the complexity of of what we're talking about right mm-hmm. it's not just about defining what is fair and so you have a mathematical definition for it it's also like how your model interacts with the society that you're in what kind of documentation you have available, yeah. how you take feedback from that. And, and I'm starting to see that conversation right now, right? So, What do you think is driving kind of the increased appreciation of the nuances here? Is it um, kind of broadening of the folks that are in the field or just I absolutely along? Or? I think broadening of the folks that are in the field. I think that, for example, um, more more of us, more people finding each other's voices and, and, and kind of kind of amplifying each other's voices. So for example, Emily Denton is very well known for generative models. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what this community knows her for, right? Like the NIRPS community and everything. So she was invited to give a talk on, on this uh, workshop called Retro- Retrospectives. So yeah. it's basically, do you know about this workshop? You, mm-hmm. you write a, it's, you're, you're supposed to talk about a paper uh, or something that you wrote and like what, what would you what would you say now kind of thing. Yeah. And she did a retrospective on computer vision as okay. a field. And what she was discussing is all of these things I'm telling you about, the view from nowhere. She was talking about this concept of the view from nowhere and how um, this has been critiqued by feminist studies, for example. And so the view from nowhere means it's basically saying that scientists assume that the view that it's it's objective you know science is objective you're finding these trying to find this objective truth so it's not from anyone's point of view it's that like there's objective truth and it's a view from nowhere so in feminist studies it's called the view from nowhere so she was describing how this the you know underlying foundation of this uh, feeling that our work is the view from nowhere and how that's kind of driving a lot of these, um, and power dynamics, and how that's driving a lot of these issues we're discussing. So, for example, she was naming certain data sets even that we don't question, right? And like one example is Celeb A data set, which is uh, Celeb A. Okay. Which is this uh, d- data set of faces that is very widely used in computer vision. And so, mm-hmm. one example I want to give you is even when people are thinking about fairness, 
they would use celeb A. And so celeb A is this data set that has uh, 40 facial attributes that are kind of annotated. Okay. Um, and so let's say it's like smiling versus not, young versus not, attractive versus not, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, when people are using this data set to, um, people have used this data set to train all sorts of models and especially in the GAN literature. And when, when they're even writing about fairness, many people like would write, would, would use this uh, data set and they would just say, oh, like we're trying to make sure that attractiveness, you know, label is not dependent on gender or something. Like, I don't know. So it's this kind of thing. And then what we, but also you have to question how, whether we should have an attract, a data set with an attractiveness label in the first place. Mm -hmm. Who annotated this data set, right. you know? And where where is this kind of model going to be used by whom? And so that was the kind of stuff that Emily was talking about. And data annotation practices, data collection practices. So we, at least there, you know, there's a long, long way to go to even have people listen to this conversation, FYI. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I was called right, an actor, right. like I, I was given like all sorts of feedback for having this kind of talk. But I'm saying that like, at first, we had to just be like, hey, you have to pay attention to this thing, you know? And yeah. you, we, we couldn't be too super nuanced about it. And now we're saying, hey, like when you're now thinking fairness, just don't think just equalizing metrics, some metric across subgroups and just right. publishing a paper. Here are all the nuances. It's a system. And here is how we should think about it as a system. And I and, and so that's that's really the biggest thing I've seen. And how when I say a system and like how it's really, you know, labor organizing that Meredith especially does, right? And how that feeds into, you know, for example, uh, labor organizing for contract workers, who are the ones who annotate these data sets that we're talking about, right? What their incentives are, how they're, how they're treated, et cetera, et cetera. What the economic incentives are and how that drives some of our decisions in AI and then how that feeds in. So like we're starting to look at it as a, or, or more and more people are starting to look at it as a system. Um, but at the same time, and because fairness is also now like a much more, I, I would say it's become like more of a mainstream yeah. uh, thing. Like for CVPR, for the computer vision call for papers, I saw um, like an actual explicit like bullet point for fairness, okay. accountability, transparency, and ethics in computer vision. Uh, whereas last year, I co-organized the first workshop of fairness, accountability, transparency, and ethics in computer vision, right? And so it's starting to be like this uh, mainstream uh, thing in, in all of these different conferences. Yeah, one shift that I'm seeing, and I'm wondering if it's, you know, new or, you know, are you seeing it also, or is it interesting is like, it feels like, you know, prior conversations about fairness and ethics, um, or at least a lot of them that I've been exposed to have been around like, you know, you, just what you've been describing tools to now, you mm -hmm. know, analyze the predictions you're making or your data sets yeah. for bias, things like that. And I'm hearing more conversations that are asking more fundamental questions like should we be doing thing x at all exactly so i think I, I that is that conversation i'm seeing more of now in the beginning it was more like hey there's this thing called fairness or you know oh that's yeah. a paper this thing called fairness oh, really? <laughs> a recent paper yeah that was people in my team really really love this uh, year yeah okay um and yeah <laughs> so so trying um, to ground it in. <laughs> yeah so there's you know in the beginning i think you know many many people especially in the theoretical more people in in theory i would say in the theoretical computer science were working on on fairness as a just a, a subfield and i would say they were a lot of people were not engaging with like critical race theory or, or feminists you know 
um, theory or anything like that, from some feminist works or anything like that. And now there are, a, you know, still a few people, but who are engaged in both, um, like bridges between those two communities. And then there are some people who are still in one community or the other community. But I believe that the conversation right now is almost trying to address the fairness community itself. So initially, mm. there we were. I think people were just trying to have a community at all, mm-hmm. and now, like, I don't think the justification needs to be made that people in at C- in Europe or at CVPR or these other conferences should work on fairness. But now the conversation is more: Hey, like, when you think of fairness, like, don't just go, you know, take a data set that's already problematic. Think about how it's problematic. Um, have you know what kinds of tools can you have to analyze why something is a problem in the first place? Right, the view from nowhere, critical race theory, like, you know, another conversation we've been having a lot is about global notions of fairness. A lot of fairness work, um, because I guess it's being driven by North American people in general, people who are, who might not be from here even, but like from the U.S. I have but, a certain perspective though. Yeah, from the U.S. or from Canada or I guess Mexico, but I wouldn't say Mexico is very highly represented in this work. Um have a certain perspective and a lot of it is grounded in like let's say civil rights law or u.s law or something right and so what about other perspectives what what transfers and what doesn't transfer you know these are some of the conversations that people are starting to have so that's that's sort of what i'm excited about i'm excited about how you know how like more awareness of how you can't just sit in a corner and write equations and um do fairness i, I i'm really i i just I, I honestly believe, for me, that it, it really always comes back to what people do in international development as well, right? Uh, there is a, a, a term called, the I, I believe, the seductive reductionism of other people's problems, mm. right? Um, <laughs> it's like, okay, so when you're walking down the street and, and in, in your own neighborhood you see homelessness, you realize how complex it is to work on homelessness, you know? Yeah. But when you're, you know, watching TV and like some person is holding an African baby somewhere, you know what I mean? There's always these shows, right? You might be like, oh, let me go solve that because you don't understand the complexity, right? You're not thinking that maybe there are a lot of people who have ideas on how to fix their own problems and they don't have, you know, visibility. They don't have toolkits, right? And so Mm -hmm. how can you uplift them? And one thing I worry about in the theoretical um, fairness community is like, for example, there was just a, a, a fairness workshop that was held at, uh, you know, the Simons Institute, I believe. It was all like not a single black per- person. You know what I'm saying? Like you have 15, 16 people. It's like a closed thing, you know, and they're, they're doing research, mathematical research on fairness. Their papers are getting published. They're getting tenure talking about black people. And there's not a single black scholar there. Mm. I think that's exploitative. And then they would they would probably say, well, like, we're looking for just this specific expertise. And well, there's no black people with this specific expertise. But then part of your job, if you do really, really care about fairness, whether it's theory or whether it's something else, is to make sure there are people in that community who can also get the scientific credit for this work, right? Like get and so that's Really, really, for me, what's missing um, in this community and, and the thing I, I worry about the most. Do you see any salient changes over the past year in the way fairness is approached or advanced from a kind of practical industry perspective? 
For, uh, yes, definitely. So I guess I'll, I'll do a plug here. <laughs> um, one example, oh man, yeah, I mean, I didn't mean to, to do it like this, but one example is model cards for model, model reporting, which mm -hmm. Meg Mitchell um, and uh, so many people in our team and across uh, collaborations um, worked on, right? And so a bunch of us had been is thinking... Is this related to the data sets for data sheets? Data sheets kind for data like sets, yeah. Data yeah, data exactly. Sets applied to models. Basically, yeah. yeah. And so a bunch, like, you know, I realized uh, when, when I was thinking about data sheets for data sets and people at MSR, like Hannah and Jen and, and Hal and Jamie and um, Brianna and all these people and, and Hal and Kate, Kate Crawford, we're, we're thinking about mm -hmm. it. Um, then Emily Bender and Bethra Friedman also had have this paper data statements for NLP. So that was like two years. It's it's really interesting, right? We were independently sort of like thinking about this at yeah. the, around the same time. Well, of course, we're talking to each other. We're inspired by what 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 we each, it, the other person says, and. A couple of years ago, it was like, hey, we think we think we should do this. We think, you know, you should have data sheets for data sets. And here's why. You have to justify it, right? Like, here's why. You think we... And then um, around the same time, like, before I, I arrived at Google, there was all, they were also working on, you know, disaggregated testing and thinking about how they could apply this to models and stuff way back, right? And now, fast forward, just now, like, just, uh, like... Uh, right before Thanksgiving, uh, Google announced uh, model cards for model reporting as part of their um, ex um, cloud AI, like explainability mm -hmm. toolkit. And like, you know, you could go see example models. I mean, this is just V1 kind of. It is also to help like gather feedback from people to see like what works well, what doesn't work well. But this is actually a thing for a real so Google product. You and folks on the ethics team have worked on that is now part of a Google product that people yeah. you know, can go swipe. Yeah, so that's line. what I mean. So it's 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 a you know before we were trying to convince everybody this is the thing that should happen. Mm -hmm. Now it's a start, right? Like so, um, it for a, a real model, a real Google model, it's not a toy one, right? Mm -hmm. That is being sold to people. You can see you have a model card mm -hmm. for it, mm -hmm. right? And. And it was, it's not a piece of cake to get an institution to do this, right? Like, it's not. And it, like, requires so much hard work. And, like, and Meg and Parker and Andrew, I mean, so many people have. Like, it, it required so many people from different, with different expertise and different organizations. Um, and so that's one thing I'm seeing, right? And I'm seeing, actually, um, conversations around data consortiums, uh, just, like, higher-level uh, conversations. I believe the EU is having all these conversations. One thing I've seen, I think, is that uh, so many pe uh, organizations are ha talking about having ethics principles or guidelines mm -hmm. and things like this. But then the question is, like, how do they get enforced, right? And, like, that's one shift I've seen in the last year, right? Like, there's a lot of AI principles and guidelines yeah. and all that stuff. And then now I think the, the next kind of year or two or whatever is, like, how do they get enforced? You yeah. know, how do, we pe how, do people, how do people believe that they will be enforced? Um, we wrote recently, like, uh, with uh, Deborah Raji and Andrew Smart and, and many other people, um, we wrote a paper trying to kind of think about this. But, like, but I think that's the next... So I guess I was doing, like, more of a retrospective of what I want to see in the future kind of thing, right? Like, <laughs> like um, so, yeah, so I think that, like, model cards being real for me is a huge thing, yeah. right? And yeah. And I don't know... Um, I think, you know, there's many, the partnership in AI has this About ML project now, and it's, it's About based on, ML? It's, that's, About ML is like the acronym. Oh, okay. And so they have this, like, it's, it's based on, you know, data sheets and model cards and fact sheets from, from IBM, and they're trying to see how this can actually be a standard, right? 
And it's, you know, it's funny, like when, when we write papers and stuff, we like, this should happen. But then when you implement it, it's also like how many stakeholders are there? Like what's the right granularity of, of, of documentation for whom and in what format? I mean, it's so much yeah. stuff, right? So, but actually, but the fact that it's actually starting to happen is, 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 a, is a pretty big deal for me. There was a, I don't know if it was a workshop I imagine it was a workshop that I saw. I only saw the title of this on one of the electronic signs in the conference center here at NeurIPS that was intriguing. It was Minding the Gap, Ethics and Fairness. Do you yeah. know what that was about? I see a lot of people actually from my team. Alex, Hannah, and Vinod from my team are speaking at the other panel there. Meredith is was there, I think. I, I, know, I know about this workshop. Um, I, I wasn't involved. Like, so basically... Uh, maybe next year this will change, but when I come to Europe's, I will. I don't get involved in any workshops. I don't. I don't give any talks. I don't because basically Black and AI is that then, so it's yeah. really hard to do anything else. Yeah. So I, I chair a session. I whatever session I have to chair, I go there. You know. Yeah. But yeah. like it's hard to take on anything additional. Sure. Um, but yeah, but this workshop I know I, I've I've heard about it because of this, but. It's actually good that, um, you know, they have people like Meredith. They have another person, um, I believe, who was one of the uh, people who just got fired before Thanksgiving for, I, I, I don't know. I mean, one of one, he was one of the people who organized, um, who were organizing against, like, Google's um, relationship with, I guess, ICE, right? Okay. Um, and so... It's hard, right? Like when you're working at an institution, like there's their policy and then there's you as an individual working and being like, well, like I'm an immigrant, you know what I mean? I was a refugee. And so how can I talk, how can I work in ethics and whatever? And yeah. I don't care if you have a model card for the model that you're giving them, right? These are the layers, right? Right, right. And, and you have a, you know, um, like a relationship with them. So like he was, you know, one of the people who was working on this, um, organizing against this, who, who was fired right before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, Meredith, you know, organized a walkout, all, all of this anti-maven activism. And she's, you know, huge, obviously, in the AI ethics community and she's no longer there, right? So it, mm-hmm. it, it, it makes me wonder, like, if, if my days are numbered or not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. I hope not, you know? I've got model cards. <laughs> yeah. What are you seeing happening on the commercial side of things? Like, I'm hearing more and more, like, IBM, for example's, you know, got Fairness 360 and yeah. I forget what the other. They've got a, a, several of these kind of ethics, yeah. fairness-focused yeah. things. There are startups that are you know, focusing on explainability, which mm-hmm. kind of plays into this. Um, you know, how do you think about the, you know, the commercial space or even open source, like the the set of activities going towards making this more tangible and accessible to practitioners? Yeah, like I think, you know, um, again, like a lot of companies are coming out with toolkits and um, like so the IBM one is a good one. Uh, Google like is integrating a lot of things into TensorFlow, like there's fairness indicators, for example. There's um, there's also um, um, a lot of educational material that actually like Andrew Zalvedar and our team really like worked so hard on um, various collabs which you know like and um, other educational material that's out so like for anybody who wants to kind of learn a little bit more about you know what things to watch out for etc like there's this stuff happening let's see uh there's also 
you know, when you're on the topic of IBM, so again, there's this brings up the complexity, right? Like, so they also came out with a data set, right? The D- diversity and faces data set. But mm-hmm. then there's also other things that show like the complexity of having this kind of data set, right? So people are talking about like the fact that that data set was scraped through Flickr, but then, you know, um, even though you have Creative Commons licensing, like when people put out their pictures on Flickr, they didn't know like 10 years later that it was going to yeah. be used for this kind of thing. And so I, I know there's like some cases of people suing. I don't know if it's specifically IBM, but also other academic institutions. I mean, this is the kind of stuff everyone in the computer vision mm-hmm. community has done, right? Like, um, and so, so that's also other stuff that's happening. And then, you know, at Google, there's like facets and, and other kind of tools to visualize your... What's facets? Facets. You should look it up. It's, it's great. It's, it's a toolkit that came from Pear. We actually use it. Um, Joy and I used it for gender shades. I mean, by okay. Joy and I, I mean Joy and Deb. <laughs> like they worked on on and the website. It, it's a it's a visualization tool. It helps you da- um, visualize your data sets and 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 all sorts of other things. So it's true. Like a lot of um, companies and uh, are coming out with um, these kinds of toolkits to help you analyze things. Um, and then. I don't remember, but I do believe there was a whole bunch of people working on like Python libraries, you know, for 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 some of these things. Um, but um, another side of the story is that some people again are cautioning against, you know, having these toolkits is just should be seen as a way to explore what's happening in your model and data, right? It shouldn't be seen as a check a check mark, mm-hmm. right? And so. So one thing, one thing that has happened with the proliferation of a lot of fairness-related works, I believe, is this word, you know, debiasing X or fixing X or, yeah. you know, and so that gives the illusion that you do X, Y, and Z and then it's fixed, right? Mm-hmm. And so inherently, there, this, this is a very complex problem. It's context-dependent, you know, it's domain knowledge-dependent. And so I think... Like sometimes I worry about how, how to to get that across, even when when all of these toolkits and, and documentations and things are around, right? Mm-hmm. It's it shouldn't so there's be. There's this seen. inherent tension between kind of democratization and raising the level of abstraction and providing tools, and you know what we call leaky, leaky abstractions, right? Yeah. Like the fundamental complexity of the thing that you're trying to make more accessible. Yeah, and I would even say like you know, Ayanna Howard and many other people have done. Um, work on like automation bias, right? Like people trusting automated tools mm-hmm. uh, more and like more than more than you know people or so- sometimes, right? And like people do work, work and trust. So so if I give you a bunch of tools and you do a bunch of tests, like it shouldn't be like okay, I did test Y and Z and it's passed, right? There's also mm-hmm. like um, a framework that needs to be developed around how to use those tools and at which point in the product development process right. they're appropriate, right? It just shouldn't be seen as like, this is like a smog check, X, Y, and Z, done, pass, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. I'm curious what you, you know, if you had to kind of make some predictions about oh, the field kind of so shifting our <laughs> attention forward, what do you think we accomplish in 2020? Or, you know, since we're talking about round numbers, the next yeah. decade for that matter. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, I, I definitely can't do about the next decade. I, um, I do think we're, we're probably moving towards a lot of discussions around standards, um, such as like the ones that, you know, model cards, data sheets and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, how do those fit into, 
you know, governance um, of, of these kinds of, like we said, like many organizations have AI principles and things, but like how are they enforced, right? So, um, and also, but then again, like how do we ease the burden on people who don't have such resources? Um, so I wrote a, a paper recently with Ansun Zhou, who's a, a history student. And so we were talking about like, lessons that we can learn from from archival history and, and their data collection processes. And they have data consortiums, right, where they pull resources together. And if one library doesn't have this kind of collection, another library can use it, um, can, um, can, you know, they can use another li one library's um, uh, collection. And so with this increased, you know, burden of documentation, which in the end we believe is necessary and, uh, uh, and, and checks and, and, you know, like GDPR and all this stuff, like how do smaller institutions and nonprofits and those without much resources, how can they also, you know, not be left behind, right? Because mm -hmm. I believe that's also a fairness question, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you are doing things such that more, you know, larger institutions are the ones that benefit, that's, that's a fairness question because that constrains who gets access to what resources. And so I think I believe there were like conversations at the governance level around data consortia, um, conversations around standards. So I, I'm wondering if maybe within the next year we might start to see some organization, like maybe the EU or maybe, maybe some other organizations starting to think more about governance and whether some of these things that we've worked on as researchers, like, um, you know, data sheets and model cards and things like that, will be part of that um, governance structure. And because, you know, for example, when um, when I, I, there's, oh, I forgot a big thing in the last year, you know, there's been all sorts of legislature passed about around face recognition, mm -hmm. right? And that, oh, yeah. for yeah. me, is pretty fast from like writing gender shades to like this kind of, and and of course, many people like the at the Center for uh, a Security, uh, what is it, Privacy and Security at Georgetown Law, mm -hmm. you know, Laura Moig, uh, Claire Garvey, Alvaro Vidoya, all these people, they, they do the most amazing work on like tracking the use of face um, recognition um, or really automated facial analysis tools in the U.S. by law enforcement, uh, whether it's ICE, whether it's, you know, uh, other types of law enforcement. And they had the Perpetual Lineup Report was the first one. America Under Watch was the second one. So in partnership, you know, in the conjunction with like a lot of people's works, I feel like that has resulted in some amount of change in legislation within the last year, right? And I, I think we're going to start to see more of that. Um, another thing I've seen actually recently is that so much uh, more, so many more people in civil uh, in civil society are part of this conversation now. Like the ACLU and many of many other people are part of this conversation about whether some sort of technology should exist or not, and like AI governance and things like that. And I think that'll continue to grow. One thing I'm really worried about, and I I am predicting this will happen because it started to happen already, is once again, the taking over of marginalized voices, right, um, in this space. So like I said, like, people work really hard to make something a thing. And then once it's a, it's a thing, they're the people who didn't suffer the consequences of trying to make it a thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of become the faces and the heads and the, you know, and the, the, the people who steer the ship. And, and at that point, 
it, it starts going in the wrong direction because it's not really trying to address the issues of the people who took the risks to make it a thing because yeah. they took that risk because what they really care about is addressing the issues themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing I, I think will happen increasingly. And you said you're seeing that already. Is there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Of... I mean, it's hard to give specific, you know. Yeah. But but no, I, I I will say like a lot of institutions like, you know, for example, MIT and Stanford. Stanford actually, Stanford HAI was started one, partly by my advisor, right, by Fafi. And the MIT, um, it's uh, there was a, a big announcement saying like. There's going to be a school of computing and there's going to be a focus on ethics and, and things like that, right? But like literally, if you can't even have like two black professors, like, and you know what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. So I, I, I think that kind yeah, of stuff is going to be very hard to tackle. a surprising absence on the part of HAI. Oh yeah, so so H I was actually also talking about <laughs> MIT, but but okay. true, exact, exact. So with HAI, it's true, right? And I I believe there, like um, I I did talk to my advisor about it too, and like I think now they're starting to be a little bit more cognizant about it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, as an institution, you're gonna have money from like different groups of people, and those groups of people are gonna be. If you have the name and if you're not really from that much of a marginalized community, you're going to be more likely to like raise this money and stuff like that, right? Whereas like a lot of other uh, groups of people that are um, from marginalized communities and smaller institutions are going to struggle to to get credibility and, and, and raise money. But like, yeah, what I was saying was, you know, for example, at MIT, like um, they're announcing this huge endowment and this, you know, ethics and all of, all of this stuff. But... When I look at their faculty, just in general, right, like in computer science or in engineering, you know, like they they I, I they might have one black person. I don't know, but you know what I mean. So it's it's really hard to to think. I mean, at Stanford, um, I I believe I used to think that there were zero black. Uh, they they graduated zero black people with a computer science um, PhD. They've never graduated black people with a computer science PhD. I, I believe there's there was maybe one. Mm -hmm. person ever in Stanford's history that's graduated with a PhD in computer science, right? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and so it's just impossible to have, you know, ethics things without addressing these kinds of issues, mm -hmm. right? Like if you don't interact, if you're not, you know, there is something wrong in that system that is not allowing these groups of people to thrive Right. Um. And and to even be present. So so th this distinction between quote unquote ethics and like, um, in 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 theory and then in practice in the real world, mm -hmm. um, I've seen more of it. Um, in the last year, but I've I've seen more of it being discussed in the last year. But I don't. I anticipate more of it happening like in in the future. In the next year. Yeah. Yeah. There's. I don't know that I would necessarily say it's a shift in the conversation, but there's. Definitely something happening in the conversation. There's maybe a tension in the conversation about the extent to which AI ethics and fairness in these conversations should be grounded in self-interest, grounded in protecting the most, uh, you know, marginalized at risk, uh, you know, you know, who and why should this be about? Is, are you seeing anything there? Yeah, and I'm seeing, I think, a bifurcation in the community and and, a, and that could happen in mm -hmm. the future, right? So there's the camp that says, and I'm, I'm probably in that camp, that says, you know, 
I just don't like the separation between oh yeah, like there's this theory that we're doing, the theoretical work, which is the math and the proofs and stuff,、mm-hmm. and then there's like all this activism that's happening, you know, and like the diversity and inclusion and labor organizing and um, you know, that kind of stuff, and like those should be separate, right? Like, and so if we are having a theory thing about fairness for with thirty people and there none of them are black, that's okay because、mm-hmm. we're doing this theory, people, and I. Would just completely disagree with that, right? And I would say that's exploitative because then that's exploiting a particular community that you're talking about, that you're writing about in your papers,、um, to to kind of advance your career, and th- this is not helping the community at all, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a camp that says we have to be more, much more interdisciplinary. We have to have le- less boundaries between disciplines. And it, it's like you know diversity and inclusion work and all of this labor organizing and stuff is is just a part of this. I'm very much in, in that camp, and many people in my in our team are in that camp. And and I think that's why they gravitate to our team because our team is one of the few homes <laughs>、uh-huh. for people who believe that. And so, like you know, and so going back to where I started, because、yeah. I came from Emily's、uh, talk, it's that idea of the view from nowhere. So if you say that you know it's okay, we're only doing fairness-related、um, theory work, and there's 30 white people here, and that's fine, and that's adhering,、uh, that is the view from nowhere. That's assuming that. That that view of those thirty people is not affecting your three a, a theory that you think is going、right, to help this particular correctness of the view that、yeah. these thirty pe- people are seeking、yeah. that is independent of the thirty people themselves. Yeah, so that's the assumption, right? This right. view from nowhere assumption, which feminists have critiqued for a long time, and so I'm in that camp. Well, Timnit, thanks so much for taking some time to. Catch us up on kind of your view of the ethics and fairness landscape. Certainly, we could not do justice to this conversation in you know just under an hour, <laughs>、um, but it's something that we'll continue to explore on the the podcast. And looking forward to our next conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. For more information on today's guest or for links to any of the materials mentioned. Check out twimmelai.com/rewind19. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review after you hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast catcher. Thanks so much for listening, and catch you next time.